Um, so, welcome to the Bailey. I'm your host, Yassine Masood. Today's topic is going to be on polyamory. And joining us today, we have a special guest, Ayla. Hello. Famous for, how do you want to be introduced? What is your accomplishment that you want to be the forefront of your introduction? <laughs> That's quite a question. I am not famous for polyamory, unfortunately. That's fine. Doing acid, maybe? <laughs> uh, so today's special guest is Ayla, who is famous for uh, taking acid every day for three years, right? Well, no, but approximately once a week for almost a year. Okay. Uh, she has many other accomplishments. That's not the only one, but but that is perhaps the most infamous. We're also joined by Frida from Germany and uh, McMuster again. Hello there. Hello. Today's topic is going to be on polyamory and uh, the culture war aspects of such. And I think a, perhaps a, a good starting point is to uh, start with the personal and discuss our relationship to polyamory or lack thereof. Ayla, how about you uh, start, it off, start us off and tell us what your personal relationship to polyamory is. And at this point, it may be actually helpful to uh, start defining terms as they come up. Yeah. My relationship to it is I became poly as soon as I heard what poly was. Um, I'd had like a boyfriend that was, you know, the standard monogamous before then. And uh, at one point he had like, I don't know, flirted with a girl online, something that, you know, I deserve to be upset at. And I noticed I just didn't really feel upset, but I kind of like performed upsetness because I thought that's what people were supposed to do. Um, and then like shortly after that, I, I met a polyamorous uh, libertarian farmer marine who lived in a, like a group house and I was like, oh, that's that's what I want. I want the... A libertarian farmer marine? Yeah, it was, it was a really uh, great person with a very unusual life. Is that allowed under D&D multi-classing? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, he had a... Uh, he, he was... This was in, like, buttfuck nowhere, Idaho. This is, like, you drive out away from the big cities um, and then you find a small city and then you drive out 20 minutes outside of that city. And then there was this little farmhouse and these like sci-fi nerds, three of them living in a house and, you know, two of them in a triad. Um, so anyway, I spent a lot of time with them and uh, I was like, oh, okay, this, this polyamory is lifestyle I want and never looked back. And uh, I've had many, many relationships, a lot of them overlapping since then. So what's a triad? Um, well, I, oh wait, so what's the term? Is it a V? Because they weren't all dating each other. It was two people dating one person and they lived in the same house. So maybe a V. I don't know. So it's like at the joint of the, the woman, two guys dating the woman then? Yes. Okay. But the guys aren't into each other. Correct. Okay. So Ayla, since you wrote a blog post about it, how about you define polyamory for us? Sure. Well, I, I had, I made two words, uh, polyamory and uh, multi-amory, which is not a great word, but I'm not good at coming up with good new words. The word that I prefer is a word that refers to the jealousy or like the amount that you control your other partner. Because like a lot of people don't have a drive to date more than one person, but I don't consider this to make them any less polyamorous. Um, like if you have dated three people at the same time and then two of them break up with you and now you're dating one person and you just aren't really that motivated to find somebody else, this does not make you any less polyamorous. So I find like the, the crux of this definition is not to be your personal preferences about the amount of partners, um, but rather like the restrictions that you place on your partner. So if you tell your partner like you cannot go out and have really these relationships, um, then you are not polyamorous. Yeah, I mean, that, to me, that sounds similar to when you're 
you know, presently celibate, it doesn't mean that you're asexual. Right. So how would you distinguish uh, polyamory from multiamory? In this blog post, I define uniamory and multiamory as um, restrictions you place on your partner. And so that's just to be more specific than polyamorous, because people mean a lot of things when they say poly. Uh, I think I've read that article and I found the distinction to be pretty interesting. Uh, while I was reading about polyamory and also researching some of the topics, um, there was another, I don't know, distinction that came to my mind, uh, whether or not you're being serious, uh, being in serious relationships with other partners, having multiple partners, having one relationship with multiple people, as you said, a triad, not a V in the actual sense. And that was also a, a big distinction for me, because I feel like nowadays a lot of people uh, rethink the boundaries of monogamy while still aiming to, um, in the long term, be with one primary partner, but have other more minor relationships outside or just um, having a different definition of being faithful. While uh, there's also a, a branch of polyamory that is really um, more focused on having those uh, long-term relationships, long-term serious relationships with multiple people. So uh, there's a lot of different arrangements that broadly fall under the same penumbra of polyamory. Uh, and perhaps that can add to some confusion because people mean different different things when they talk about polyamory. They may mean the same thing in that they're open to being attached or involved with multiple partners, but the specific arrangement is not necessarily clear from that declaration. Yeah, exactly. And do you distinguish that from an open relationship in any way? Do you consider that a category or do you just like class that under uh, multi-amory or something like that? I mean, it's a spectrum. The, the, the fewer restrictions you place on your partner, the more multi-amorous you are. Um, so open relationships, it depends on how open you are. Okay. Hmm. I, I'm just wondering, like, what's like the current state of your, your polyamory, if you're comfortable sharing, that is? Right now, I've been like functionally monogamous for the last few years. Although, actually, no, I haven't. There's, I, I have dated like a lot of people at the same time. Lately, I've tended to date one primary person and then have some mild flings on the side. But that's been sort of more by like happens to be what my life is like, as opposed to like actively trying to have that arrangement. I've heard that described as monogamish. Yeah, maybe. I mean, my partners have been much more engaged with other people than I have been engaged with other people. So your partner is engaged with other people, but you largely have stuck to one person. Yeah, mostly. Has that changed your outlook at all on the polyamory question? What is the polyamory question? Uh, whether or not you identify as polyamorous. It's just this current, there's, this current phase is more monogamous. Has that changed your outlook? Not at all. In the same way, if, if you're celibate, do you consider yourself you know, asexual, not at all. Yeah, but perhaps the distinction is when you're celibate and you're not asexual, there's a drive to not be celibate anymore. So is there a drive to be open or be involved with other partners in your current state? Um, Mildly. Like I said, my personal definition around this is the restrictions you place on your partner. Um, and I have zero restrictions for my partner. Sometimes when I feel moved to have an experience with somebody else, then I go pursue that. Sometimes it's those urges are less, sometimes they're more. But at no point do I ever, I don't think monogamy is anything that is close to what I am. So it's a matter of leaving that door unlocked then. Yeah, that, that's the way that I personally relate to this. Because I mean, if you don't relate it to this way, then then the definitions get kind of weird, you know? Like, um, are you monogamous if... 
uh, you both have been fucking a bunch of people, but then you kind of stop for a little bit because you're tired. Like, are, did you suddenly become monogamous? Like, how long do you have to have stopped fucking people before you can consider yourself monogamous? Like, the definition is really funny. Well, I, I just considered a scenario where if you uh, define it as the restrictions that you place on your partner rather than on yourself, you can envision a situation where you place no restrictions on your partner and vice versa, but yet you are not involved with anyone else. So you're functionally monogamous, albeit without any explicitly stated restrictions. Does that still count as polyamory? Yeah, for me personally, that counts as fully poly. Um, but this is part of what the article goes into. That's why I have like kind of two different spectrums. Um, so for for the article, um, I define like polyamorous and monogamous basically as just like how many people you tend to be dating. Um, but uh, the multi-amory spectrum is about the uh, the freedom that you give your partner. Um, so there's kind of like two different spectrums here. I personally find the one that's like better to go by is the one that describes the restrictions you place on your partner. Um, but I do acknowledge that, yes, there is a difference between people who tend to only be with each other, even if there are no restrictions, than people who don't. So I was uh, as I was uh, going through your blog, I uh, saw the title, the, uh, the Amory Spectrum, and I just set, read it as the Armory Spectrum. And I thought, yeah, that article is not interesting. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> useful feedback <laughs> but i mean that's maybe you know that's indicative of some sort of learning disability on my end <laughs> or dyslexia or something so what about you guys um i'm curious about your guys's experiences with polyamory how about frida would you like to describe uh, if you want your personal situation uh sure um with my current boyfriend uh when we started dating for the first couple of months i think like half a year uh, we, while we became committed to each other, we stayed, uh, not uh, sexually exclusive or, uh, stayed <laughs> open. <laughs> um, but more as a kind of experiment. Uh, I wouldn't describe myself as polyamorous in that way that I'm also trying to process the definitions into my answer, but maybe I'll just try to describe it without it. When we started, it was, it was more a kind of experiment to, rethink what monogamy can mean uh because as a lot of like young people in my generation i feel like that's why a lot of people turn to open relationships or polyamorous relationships monogamy didn't look that good <laughs> or if we if i look at my parents generation uh my friends parents and everything they're all living monogamous but a lot of them are divorced or not really happy and it seems like monogamy monogamy isn't working that well. I don't think I will ever live in a triad or really in a serious relationship with multiple people. I still have the ideal to <laughs> be with one person, but kind of rethink the restrictions we put on each other to make it more workable for us as individuals and not just use the sample understanding of monogamy that we have. Uh, so right now we're living monogamously, but mostly <laughs> for... Uh, I think Yassine mentioned it um, for a time issue. <laughs> <laughs> that polyamorous or open relationships seem to be a ton of work and a ton of time. Um, and it was interesting. I learned a lot from these months that we actually tried and had um, other relationships, other, um, not relationships in that matter, but other minor flings with other people, got to experience um, <laughs> other connections with, uh, connections with other people uh, to kind of learn that fidelity and commitment are not necessarily the same. Mm. Being exclusive can signal to your partner that you're committed, but it doesn't necessarily have to. And kind of just negotiate, find out which restrictions work for us. Right now, we live monogamously. 
because we've entered a new phase of our life, a um, very demanding phase of our studies, where we just wanted to focus on law school and on ourselves because um, leading an open relationship can be very demanding time-wise. And uh, we just felt that these rules we put up now for our relationship are appropriate for the state we are in. Um, but I'm very thankful for the experience because I've learned a lot during that time. We learned a lot about each other, about how to communicate, about how relationship works and how a relationship can work for us. Um, and I'm very happy and I'm very comfortable to be able to um, be in a position where I can renegotiate the rules of our relationship depending on where we are at and uh, just make it work for us individually. And I feel like the conversation about polyamory and open relationships opened that up for a lot of people to kind of find out individually what works for them. Because a triad wouldn't work for a lot of people, but also staying monogamous and just being with one person and not not even flirting with anybody. That doesn't work for for a lot of people either, but for some it does. Frida, do you remember how uh, you broached the subject with the, your current partner and what were the rules that you put in place or what were the I guess, procedures and expectations that you put in place, such as notification or any other minor restrictions? We said this was the most important rule, and we still do that with everything. To be 100% honest and authentic about what we feel and think and talk about it openly. It was right when we started, and uh, I don't know, I, f I think he brought it up. <laughs> And I was interested because uh, a good friend of mine lived in a polyamorous relationship before and I didn't want to have like the same life as he had, but it kind of challenged my idea of what I wanted my relationship to look like. And so it was, we didn't read anything about polyamory or open relationships. We just went with what we felt was right and kind of talked over, af after every experience very thoroughly how we felt, how we processed that. And it was just the most important thing was honesty. So Ayla, did you have, um, you say that you have no restrictions on your partner, but do you require, for example, notification or anything similar? Well, I mean, there's like strong preferences I have in relationships in general, such as like communication and openness, like kind of like you said, Frida. So I, I want those things. I don't like require information about their other relationships as long as it's not like actively hidden, you know? Um, and then sometimes when I'm feeling like insecure or if it's a new relationship, then I want to make sure I get all of the information, even if it's not necessary. That way I can like emotionally update to what's happening. I see. McMuster, would you like to describe your personal relationship with polyamory? Yeah. After a year into a relationship with a partner of mine, we decided to give polyamory a try. And we called it polyamory. I'm pretty sure it was just an open relationship, though. We basically negotiated out what we wanted to do, basically give it a month's trial run to see how we adjusted to it. What we talked about is like leaving those doors unlocked and not putting requirements on each other, not giving each other veto powers for who we're seeing, things like that. A week into this, uh, after I had gone on to my first date with someone else, my partner got extremely jealous and it resulted in a meltdown and fight that made it hard to see them the same way afterwards and resulted in us eventually breaking off the relationship about a month later wow yeah and the interesting thing here is this was her idea and she thought she would very much like it so as an armchair psychologist what do you think happened when i told other people what i would that we decided to do this they called me a sucker because they, they all expected that to have happened if they had done the same thing like they all would have expected that 
so like from the armchair psychology perspective, I'm pretty sure I was uh, just blinded by the opportunity of having more sex with more people. Like that sounded pretty great. So when they, when you say they called you a sucker, what exactly do you mean by that? I'll put it in the rationalist terms. They intuited that her revealed preferences were not the same as her explicit preferences. Like she made an explicit preference that having more partners sounds fun and be good for a relationship, uh, increase our intimacy. Uh, we both went into it with pretty high-minded ideas of how we we're going to handle it. We even talked about jealousy ahead of time, but it still wound up becoming a massive flare-up. But the revealed preference was that actually this uh, wanted a secure monogamous relationship and that uh, it was likely more just underlying problems with the relationship were highlighted and this basically created a fracture point that broke the whole thing up but then it introduced you to a new world right uh no i swore that off oh you swore off polyamory (laughs) 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 well here's the thing here's the thing I'm, i'm incredibly conflicted on polyamory because i know for a fact that it can work because i'm surrounded by people right now who are able to work with it uh, Ayla, you've been doing it for 10 years. You've been able to mm-hmm. uh, pick people who, and you have the right personality for it. Frida, you're able to handle a, have an open relationship for an extended period of time, a relatively, uh, from what I can tell, a, a relatively simplistic one. Like you were telling me you hadn't even heard the term polyamory uh, or not looked into it before even trying this. So you basically just wandered into it and it worked out pretty well for you. <laughs> Uh, I haven't heard your scene story yet. I'm interested to hear it. But I'm also uh, under the impression that you're the type of person who could do this. And I know myself. I know that I can do this because I was not bothered at all by the idea or not even bothered by the idea of or the act of her seeing other people. So the failure rate of polyamory is is used sometimes as a criticism where, where people claim or assert that polyamorous relationships are unstable or full of drama. The observation point for determining whether polyamory quote-unquote works is often whether the relationship lasts, which to me is a bizarre reference point because pretty much every relationship ends at some point. Uh, That's not necessarily indication of failure. So there's no real objective measure of success quote-unquote with regards to polyamory or monogamy in terms of the relationships? Even if it is a measure, I, I did a study on polyamory versus monogamy relationships. And um, I asked people to report for their primary relationship in polyamory. And the length of those relationships was no different than the length of people in monogamous relationships. Look at you coming in with the big numbers. Yeah. I made a survey and then I posted it on Twitter and Reddit, a whole bunch of different Facebook groups, um, basically trying to get like a really wide variety of uh, relationship lengths. Um, and styles. Mm. I think depend, uh, depending on the your social circle on what's considered normal there, your only experience with open relationships might be a negative one or might be that you see them failing. Because for one, me studying in a very conservative small university town, um, I know for I know one polyamorous couple from back home. Um, and the only stories I've heard beforehand, except through the internet or anything else about polyamory or open relationships where friends who were already very much struggling in their relationship and tried to well, <laughs> open it up as a last resort, yeah. which of course miserably failed. If you're not close to people who actually tried this, this might be your only point of reference. People who've heard it, who've tried it and who failed. So um, if, you're, if you're one to criticize polyamory, you might already be in a social circle where the only, you don't hear about the statistics, you just quote it. The only point of reference you have um, are those anecdotes you hear. Yeah, survivorship bias goes goes both ways. If you're only recording the people who are 
successful in it, they'll be doing it properly. Whereas if you're only really re looking at the people who are failing, by you know looking for examples of it failing, uh, that's what you'll see. This this is also I asked about um, in my survey about uh, quality of relationship, basically a couple different metrics in which people rated their relationship. And when it came to relationship satisfaction, the people who were either extremely monogamous or extremely polyamorous had about the exact same level of relationship satisfaction. The people who were partially monogamous or rated themselves like monogamish had lower levels, pretty obviously across the board. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Like just because like there's a lot more negotiation that has to go on when you're only in the, the gray zone? Maybe. I think it might be what Frida was saying, that like it's people doing it to try and save their relationship and so they don't fully commit to it. They sort of just like try and put a foot in because it's the new thing that they are doing for a different purpose. And that does not work out. Yeah, that does seem to be a depressingly common trope where someone is in a failing relationship and that's kind of a last ditch effort to quote spice things up, mm -hmm. which is probably not the right mindset to enter into polyamory. All right, before being like thrown under the bus by uh, an implication... Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I apologize. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually still have an intimate relationship with this person. I'm actually still pretty damn close to them. Uh, it's just I kind of cut off the, the romantic part of that because it was not a particularly uh, uh, fruitful endeavor in the end. And that showed uh, a lot of fracture points. <laughs> I'm but sorry, I was, I'm yes, like, it was a It was a catalyst that uh, resulted in things falling apart, but I don't I think we would have been able to continue on for considerably longer if we went with monogamy. But that still is, I'm still going to say that that's an incredibly valid point, though. So this is a good point, time as any to bring up uh, Jeffrey Miller's article in Quillette on uh, polyamory. Jeffrey Miller is a psychology professor at the University of New Mexico. Uh, he wrote a, an article for Quillette titled, Polyamory is Growing and We Need to Get Serious About It. Because he's a, he's a professor, he sprinkles in a significant amount of uh, studies in his claims. I think a, a big problem with the, talking about polyamory is we're not really on solid ground when it comes to objective definitions. So it's difficult to really gather a lot of robust data. So, if, you know, when we're talking about marriage rates and divorce rates, that's pretty easy because we have a public record of exactly what's going on. But with polyamory, because it's so fluid and the definition is so flexible, we, I think that that acts as a significant barrier for uh, further research. And there's, uh, there's some examples that crop up in the Quillette piece. So, for example, uh, as an as a indication that polyamory is spreading among millennials, uh, Jeffrey Miller cites a few studies. One of the findings he discusses is among adults aged 18 to 44, 17% have had sex with someone else with the consent of their partner up from 9% among adults age 45 and 54. And the, when you click through the study uh, listed, which is YouGov, there is indeed a survey question that asks, how would you react if your partner wanted to engage in sexual activities with someone else? And you know, it ranges from, I would not be okay with it, uh, to it depends on the situation, or I would be okay with it, not sure. And you know, it's not quite clear what situation we're talking about. Uh, what circumstances we're talking about. Is it from the standpoint of an already established monogamous relationship uh, or is it just in the, in the, in the stage of early casual dating? Also, that's uh, another interesting thing. When I opened up to my parents that this is what actually happened uh, a couple months after the relationship ended, they said, I asked, they asked us what we were doing, like they actually explain it. And I get, explained like the mechanics of like, uh, oh, we're seeing other people, but uh, still maintaining a connection to each other. 
I, I quoted a bunch of the, the studies, like our studies and articles I had been reading and stuff like that. And she was like, she just, my mom stopped me and says, oh, we just called that dating. We did that before uh, committing to one another back in <laughs> my day. So that, that was that was the boomer advice. It's like, oh, yeah, we used to do that, too. We just did it before figuring out who we wanted to be with. Well, so, I mean, that's that's what I've, uh, as I was reading through um, the materials that we posted for this episode, that that's a question that kept coming up. Because if we look at American culture when it comes to casual dating, from the way I describe it is, you know, you go on a bunch of dates with multiple people. Uh, it's very undefined and very casual at the beginning you might have sex with most of them but you're not necessarily expected at least in my circles that you're not expected to divulge to every single prospective person that you're about to date that hey i'm sleeping with other people i just went on a date yesterday and we had sex like there's no real expectation that you're supposed to divulge that until perhaps you get to the dtf no dtr sorry <laughs> dtf uh <laughs> the DTR uh, stage where you define the relationship and say, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I expect. What, what how do you feel about it? So besides that, it's kind of like this, uh, <laughs> it's almost like a, uh, the purge where one night of every year, everything is legal. There's no crime or nothing is illegal. Uh, and so you basically can do whatever you want, at least with some like minimum amount of decency but until you reach the the definition stage, that's that's when things uh, start to be uh, put into place. Also, Yasin, you've also uh, somewhat dodged the question by moving on to this article of your personal experience. I was going to get to it. I wanted to <laughs> sprinkle it through to have some more variety. But I guess this is a good point to do it. I generally consider myself monogamous. But I have dated a significant amount of people. I think it's fair to say that I was addicted to online dating or at least dating in general and online dating served as a, a very compulsive vehicle to get to achieve that but my goal at least what i tell myself my goal was always one person that i was really excited about there's a lot of reasons for it i think a big one is really just time management i'm in a monogamous relationship now and that by itself already feels overwhelming especially because we live together and i have a full-time job I cannot imagine, I barely have time to like see my other friends. I can't imagine maintaining uh, an intimate relationship with someone else while still kind of keeping the current one healthy and attending to my other needs. But prior to this, I've had many instances, many periods where I'm dating multiple people at the same time, but it was almost always within the penumbra of, you know, we haven't really defined the relationship or we've accepted that we're just going to hook up with no real expectation uh, for the future. It's just very interesting how those social expectations differ, probably depending where you are, because you described dating multiple people and also um, being sexually intimate with multiple people. I think myself and um, I guess most people I know, uh, or most of my friends, most of my social circle here, uh, would probably say that uh, you would have to already at this stage before you are serious about each other. If you're already sleeping with each other, you should be upfront with what else you're doing, who else you're seeing. I live in a liberal coastal city. The surroundings that I'm in, that's that's generally the expectation. And I don't know, I used to live in Washington, D.C. I don't know, that, and that was basically the same situation where you you can kind of sleep with as many people as you want until 
you reach the point where you define it. And there's some basic, you know, at least what I think some basic minimum standards in that you use protection with everyone until you have a conversation about what risk they're comfortable with. You know, usually if you want to stop using protection, you, you set some parameters to keep yourself safe. But until that point, I, there were no real restrictions or expectations. I'm describing what the situation and environment is in the places that I've lived, but I don't know, I, I don't think I can speak for the rest of the country or, you know, for the rest of the world, like Germany. Yeah, obviously, uh, just, just a random side note. Well, how would you, well, first of all, the people that live in the United States, I'm guessing Ayla and McMaster, is that an accurate refle- reflection? Obviously, we're going to have, you know, <laughs> some significant bias in terms of the demographics that we observe. But is that a generally accurate reflection of the dating standards in the United States? That people date around a lot casually and are open about it? Even if you're, if you claim yourself to be monogamous, it's still okay to date slash sleep multiple people until you reach the point of, I like this person a lot. I am not interested in other people. Let's define the relationship. Yeah. Isn't it like the, the talk where you have the agreement to go exclusive? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Usually, at least in my experience, you, you usually have to have a talk where you agree to go exclusive. That is generally the standard here, too. Though I think the the expectation of that happening comes a bit sooner, at least with my experience with a lot of women around here, in Minnesota, at least. It's like usually it's like after a few dates, it's usually also like the, the expectation of sleeping with people casually isn't always there either. Even when going on like dating apps and things like that, there's usually the expectation of at least a modicum of commitment before you even get to that level with some people. So there is a spectrum and I think it largely boils down to like uh, red tribe, blue tribe dating standards. Would you say that you're surrounded by red tribe dating standards, McMuster? Not personally. I'm usually uh, dating more uh, progressive women rather than the other way around. But even so, the the culture of it isn't in line with the coastal culture, I don't think. Frida, how would you describe the culture in Germany regarding dating expectations, even if you're monogamous? I think it really depends on where you live. Uh, Casual dating obviously is a thing. And I guess (laughs) if you live in Berlin, it's a big hip city. Uh, I don't know what it's like, but there's probably a lot more going on than in my small university town. At least in my social circles, at least in the city where I live. I'm actually always quite interested when hearing about American hookup culture and people praising it or criticizing it when hookup culture in college this basically doesn't exist here. <laughs> Wait, what? How, how, how does that work? <laughs> or uh, people, um, as I said, my, the city where I study is pretty conservative and pretty small. So you see everybody, you know everybody. If you had a casual encounter, you're most likely to sit across from them in the library the next day. That doesn't strike me as uh, particularly weird. Yeah, um, but... I guess because of that, a lot less is going on. I think it's also um, a d- new development in my generation that a lot of people start hooking up before they're dating, but they're usually not hooking up with multiple people at the same time. Could you uh, define hooking up? Because I think people do have different definitions of hooking up. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Hooking up as in already sleeping with each other. Let's say, for example, you've met a girl, you've slept with her a couple of times, you've been on a couple of dates. And uh, she would find out after sleeping with you for a couple of times that you are still with other people too, and you hadn't told her at this point, this might cause some kind of disruption. 
not that you're already exclusive when you're sleeping with the other, but I think it's more of an expectation to be upfront about it, or maybe just first try dating one person person, and then deciding whether it's going to be serious or not and looking for the next one. Well, I think like the distinction between a, a hookup is da- sleeping with someone without actually dating them, right? Is that how you're describing it? Because that's how I would distinguish it. Because in, in my experience around here, the expectation is mostly you, you date people before sleeping with them. And the expectation of are you dating multiple people at once? That's more open. That's the average, though. There, there is, there is definitely pockets of, especially if you're like, you know, going to college or something. It's definitely much more like what Yasin was describing. So I'm gonna out myself as perhaps a sociopath in what I'm gonna relay <laughs> next. I have a spreadsheet, and <laughs> I've kept track of every date I've been on since I've moved to this city. Nice uh, and. And have uh, kind of like different columns of data, meaning like when, how we met real life, OkCupid, Tinder or whatever, how many dates we've been on, whether we kissed on the first date, whether we we had sex on the se- first or second date, etc. Whether there was like any follow up uh, after that or something, something similar. I think I can pull it up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm very much into statistics too, but... That I never heard of. Well, uh, maybe to, I guess, give myself a, some excuse, I'll describe how this uh, spreadsheet came about. When I first moved to this new city, I um, I went on a lot of dates because I didn't know anyone. So I used the online dating as a significant networking opportunity as well as a dating opportunity. If something didn't work out, but I enjoyed spending time with the person, then you know we could be friends and do some other things. And I think maybe a year in, I realized... I've, I've been on a lot of dates. I wonder how many. So I went back through like all my text messages and, and like <laughs> Google calendar and compiled a, a spreadsheet kind of detailing how many I've had. And I think at that point it was, you know, 34 or something. And then I, cl- I closed Excel and then it said, would you like to save this? And I said, yeah, why not? This took me a long time. <laughs> so it became something that I just continuously updated because I already put the work in. And maybe it would give me some interesting uh, insights into my personal habits. I don't think that makes you a sociopath. I think that's just... Uh, I mean, I it's, think... it's fucking weird. No, no, it's not. Come on. It's, like that... No, it's just, this is just <laughs> journaling for uh, autists. <laughs> Everybody has their weird quirks. Like other people keep track of stuff like that in a journal, in a narrative format. You just did it in data format. That just seems perfectly in line with what I know about like differences in different types of people, like you know, person versus thing orientation. Like, you're, I, I get the inkling that you're towards the thing orientation side of things. So I'm, I'm currently inserting a pivot table. <laughs> uh, shit. <laughs> so we can we can figure out whatever uh, whatever standards that we uh, we're excited about. Uh, but in terms of just raw numbers, it was. Last I st- I stopped counting uh, almost a year ago. Uh, prior, you know, at, at the beginning of my current uh, monogamous relationship, but I went on 133 dates with wow. different people over a period of oh five years. Not yeah. bad. Uh, you can you know you can translate how frequent that is. But to, to be fair, I posted about this before. But it, it was kind of admittedly kind of a compulsive amount of energy that I that I spent on this. Like, for example, I had a commute by bus that was an hour and a half each way. And instead of reading a book, I would just be on Tinder the whole time. Pretty much every single free time that I had, I would be on some sort of online date. 
I would be planning it. I would be thinking about it. I would kind of structure my my social outings to to accommodate that. I would go to events specifically with the mindset of is there going to be anyone attractive that I could potentially go on a date with? Or is there anyone potentially that I can meet there? I would go to random events just on the off chance that maybe I would run into someone that I could have a conversation with and potentially go out on a date with. So it was, it, it took, it was a lot of effort. I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think that this was kind of just casual, something that fell on my lap. It was, it was compulsive, admittedly. Do you feel relief now that you're in a um, stable monogamous relationship that there's a lot you don't need to worry or think about anymore? I definitely can see how it made me lazy about certain things, uh, but it's hard to really ascertain wh whether it was the relationship that caused that or other events uh, in my life. So I definitely don't go to as many events as possible as before. So I'm seeing as a lot less than the kind of socialite that I used to be seen as because I, I just went everywhere. I was at like at all the art gallery openings, at all the music shows, at all the house parties. I was a consistent fixture, but you know, I had a, I had a motivation to do so, which I don't have anymore, except to spend time with my lovely girlfriend. So there, that has shifted in, in a sense. I do miss the excitement. I was talking to a friend about this uh, recently. I, I do... Uh, miss the excitement of meeting someone new and flirting with them and having it be successful or going on a date with someone and then realizing that, yeah, you're probably going to sleep together at the end of the night. That's definitely something that I miss. But I also, you know, by looking at the spreadsheet, there were a lot of dates that just went nowhere. So I don't, it's not something that I want to, that aspect is definitely not something I want to repeat because it was just really frustrating. It was really sad. Uh, it was a waste of time and money. Uh, it made me extremely anxious at times. Uh, especially if I was just completely uninterested in someone, but they were interested in me. I felt just horrible at breaking things off because I didn't, I just didn't want to hurt anyone. So there's, there's a significant amount of relief. So I can see the appeal to polyamory. Because it allows you to have that flirting experience like you talk about inside of a stable, committed relationship with someone. I think that's like the main yeah. draw of it, really. That's what I was yeah. interested in finding, at least. Mm -hmm. I've, uh, just picking up on uh, one thing you've mentioned, uh, I think that everybody has this need for adventure sometimes. There's phases in your life where it's more intense. There's phases in your life where you're not seeking it as much. But maybe the need is still there to go out, to go out there to know what is out there. But everybody at the same time also still has this uh, very deep need for safety. And I guess a lot of people are motivated by fulfilling both this need for adventure and this need for safety by trying to pursue um, alternative kinds of relationships, becoming polyamorous or starting an open relationship or however you want to define this. Do you guys think that's possible to kind of bring those two together and satisfy both needs in one relationship are some people better equipped at just being more focused on one of these needs kind of deciding to just be with one person be monogamous and therefore maybe refrain from going after other adventures getting to know other people having this these exciting first encounters some people are naturally better equipped for that or that everybody has it And you just make up different rules. It does seem to be a function of whether you have a proclivity towards it, coupled with, you know, whether you have, I guess, the wherewithal to pursue it. And uh, I think also the, the personality that suits it. Also, finding a suitable partner 
Like you may have a, you may have the desire, but your partner just doesn't want to. Yeah, that's the big one. There, there's a lot of I've noticed a few stories about how the act of opening a relationship can oftentimes be coercive on one on one side of that relationship. I think I kind of process monogamous relationships as default co- coercive because like you're placing restrictions on your partner, and I agree that like um, setting a contract for how you two want to engage is like fine if two people like want to sign the same contract. But so much in this culture, it's like considered to be the default and like a lot of people go into it because they feel like they don't actually have a lot of other options Uh, if you live monogamously it's it should be a choice and not just a template that you pick up because you feel like that's something that's expected of you well here's another question how many uh polyamorous people are in complex polyamorous relationships versus in currently single partnered with the occasional flirting and dating along the side. Like how many active relationships on average does a poly person tend to have? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. This is where we get into methodology complications because that's really difficult to... My intuition is that it tends to settle down towards one partner just by virtue of the the maintenance requirements of multiple relationships. I think that's likely. Mon- monogamy, having a sing- defining it here as having a single partner, is kind of a default just by virtue of the game of it, the game of running a relationship, and also the exponential increase in the potential for drama that comes alongside adding additional partners into the mix with additional needs and considerations. But there's like there's a difference between like descriptive and prescriptive monogamy. Sometimes monogamy just happens, and other times monogamy happens because you're making it happen. And I think those two are like really really different i I think like having like intentional agreements that you will not have another partner is very different than just like kind of casually not having another partner because your needs happen to be met right now yeah that's a good point i was in a relationship with someone who considered themselves poly uh we dated for i think three or four months she had just gotten out of a 10-year relationship so i didn't really want to push the issue of how we define our relationship so both of us took it very casually But I noticed that we both fell into uh, de facto monogamy. And I remember having a conversation with her where I said, you know, it's kind of nice that we never agreed explicitly to monogamy, but neither of us have slept with anyone else because that indicates a level of interest that is more genuine uh, because it's just you doing it on your own, out of your own volition, rather than following an agreed upon restriction. Yeah, this is why I don't really understand monogamy because it's like, why would you try to make someone only want you i don't i really don't understand that well i think that's a a matter of uh jealousy and the personal utility of it Mm. i I think people have different varying levels of jealousy and like for a lot of people it's uh an uncontrollable impulse and monogamy looking at it from the the evo psych perspective or just the societal uh what settles on what works perspective is reckoning with jealousy because we don't need jealousy. Jealousy's uh, utility isn't really there in the modern setting, especially with birth control. Like the idea is that jealousy evolved in the uh, ancestral environment to control for paternity conflicts. Wait, hold on. So I don't think it's just based on fertility. Uh, jealousy also belies a fear of loss. If someone is uh, spending time with someone else, then there's always a risk, no matter how mi- minimal that your partner may choose that other person over you. Even if they're polyamorous, just by virtue of scarcity, they may uh, focus more on them instead of you is the foundation of the jealousy sentiment. Yeah, I had this one relationship. Um, it was near the beginning and it was like whirlwind, like deep fall in love thing. And then like, I think two or three months in, um, after we like the extreme drugs of being in love started to settle a little bit, 
um, he started uh, sleeping with other people, which I totally knew that that was going to happen. And I remember I was like with him and we'd been traveling in an apartment and he brought home some girl and I could like have them hear, hear them having sex in the other room. And I remember just like sitting in the bed, just consumed with, I don't know, like, <laughs> like anxiety and, and like pain, like fear and stuff. And it was really hard experience. But I just went through it. And then so this kept happening, you know, over the course of months. And each time it happened, I was just it was a little bit less painful. And then finally, by the end, I was just like, I didn't shit anymore. He would bring a girl home and be like, Oh, hi, hi, new girl. Like, it's cool to meet you. And then I would hear them having sex as I was like, you know, making tea and I didn't give a shit. And I really think it's because like, my brain was like realized over time that he wasn't actually going to leave me because like, each time I was like, Okay, this is going to be the thing where he likes the new girl better. But after like repeated exposure, I felt a lot safer, and then the jealousy went away. Do you think that's how uh, people get to used to polygamy and polygamous societies? Uh, likely at least one of the ways, yeah. I think that's very different, though, uh, given where polygamy is most, most well-established. Because you have all these institutional controls in place. Yeah, that's true. And you're like raised expecting it. Yeah, but people still have to engage in it and make their relationships work within it. Presumably, there's a similar process going on. At the beginning of uh, the way my current relationship started, I was dating and sleeping with two people at the same time. Not in the same location in time, but (laughs) you get what I mean. Um, uh, This really upset my current girlfriend when she found out about it. Uh, because she had a very different expectation of when I should have notified her. I guess you can say she is more reserved and more traditional in terms of romantic expectations. And while she told me that it really hurt her, I just kind of shrugged and I said, I don't, I don't really know why you were hurt. It's kind of just what everyone does. I don't think I was obligated to, to tell you uh, right away. Uh, but she had a different expectation of intimacy. I do remember when her and I did agree to be monogamous, I remember the, that weekend that we spent together was, was really exciting. Uh, it was very fun and gave me quite a rush because I realized how happy I was or how, how much I looked forward to being in a relationship with her. And it's not, some, it's not a sentiment that I had when I was you know sleeping with someone else. So there was definitely a benefit and a shift that I experienced that I did not expect from us setting these expectations on uh on our relationship i'm kind of unclear what what was the benefit it was more uh we are entering into an established relationship this is like a sign of commitment i get to call you my girlfriend so like monogamy functions as like corresponding to seriousness about her yes okay and i think that that is true for a lot of people because i've been in situations where i was dating someone and said and they said how do you feel about you know being exclusive and that's usually an indication of hey, this is going really well. I want to make it, quote unquote, more permanent than what it already is. And I have, I have been in situations where either I or the other person have, has declined. And that's usually a signal of how much they value or how important that relationship is to them. So it's always going to be on a spectrum where, you know, some people that you are intimate with, you don't really care about them. And some people that you're completely in love with. And while ideally we, maybe not ideally, we wish we could just read each other's minds and know exactly where people stand, that's not really the case. And so it's with these kind of overt acts that we establish our seriousness. So in my mind, the asking for exclusivity is a sign of seriousness, you know, all the way up to marriage or, you know, moving in together or making these plans together. Those are all indications of seriousness. 
And at the beginning stage, one of the easiest ones to indicate it is just asking for exclusivity. This is probably where like the myth that uh, poly people aren't serious comes from. Because if people are interpreting monogamy as an expression of like commitment, then people, if you see a poly person, you think, oh, they must not be committed. The difference in perceiving exclusivity as a mere signal of commitment or uh, equating exclusivity with commitment. I think that's a very a big difference in attitude. And that's also something that I've learned from my own experience, that exclusivity doesn't have to be the same. It's just a signal, but you can signal commitment in other ways too. Mm. Well, let's, I mean, we can discuss the other ways. So if you're in a relationship and you're unsure about the future of it, uh, whether, you know, it's not always clear whether the other person is interested in you. And if even if they are interested in you for how long or how extensively, what are some ways that you can signal commitment? You're asking like, how can people signal commitment if they're not monogamous? There are some obvious ways to signal commitment, such as, you know, moving in together or establishing other facets of a shared life together that signal commitment uh, in term from the standpoint of partnership. But less than that, what are some other methods of doing so? I mean, isn't just time like, I mean, but like, what is commitment? Like you're, you're, you're telling somebody that you are going to sacrifice other things for them in the future to some extent yeah or indicating this is very important to me i mean can't you tell them (laughs) (laughs) yes ideally ideally you can just tell them but to me words do not really have the same effect because people lie and people lie especially when they're within relationships because there's some obvious benefits to lying you can tell them but also time and attention signal commitment yeah, time and attention, I agree. And that's something that I took up. Uh, so my girlfriend was upset that I was seeing someone else. So she interpreted my sleeping with someone else as not caring about her, which wasn't the intended message that I sent. So in order to correct that, I had to compensate in other areas to showcase, yes, I really care about you. I'm really into you. Here, here are some actions that I'm engaging in to kind of assuage that fear and confirm that I'm really committed to this relationship with you. Can you imagine this happening in like a non-sexual, if you like remove the sex and make this like a friendship instead of a romantic relationship, be like somebody um, interprets you spending time with other friends as a signal that you aren't committed about the friendship. So you have to like make them feel more comfortable by like putting in more effort to make sure that they know that you like them as a friend. Like that, that like gives me like a weird kind of negative feeling. Well, that's the, that's the whole Revolution, isn't it? Is decoupling sex from the uh, the fact that it results in a child. Yeah. Being able to equate friendships with uh, sexual relationships is a modern luxury that we have. I think the growing of polyamory, a non-hierarchical, childhood-unrelated romantic system that's pretty much unique, from what I can tell, historically, is something that can only really happen after you've been able to decouple sex from the fact that it results in a child. Right. I think you're accurate in your characterization of how romantic relationships work out and that they do seem to require more overt acts of commitment than other forms of relationship. But I also recognize that that's like sexual relationships and romantic relationships are probably the area of human dynamics where lying and vulnerability are most prevalent, unless I can think of something you're sure else. You're not projecting there, you seen Mr. Sociopathic Spreadsheet. We'll man. see. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> From at least my experience, I don't know how prevalent this is. Whenever you're dating someone, like in the early stages of meeting someone that you're sexually or romantically interested in, there's always this kind of tentative 
guardedness about people where they don't necessarily want to say, oh my God, I am so into you. You know, I've been looking at your Facebook photos all of last night uh, before my date with you. And I've been telling all my friends about how hot you are. You know, all, those things are kind of, they're honest and perhaps extremely prevalent, but no one wants to admit to them uh, because it's really scary. It's probably, it might be indicative of some other uh, red flag behavior. So we tend to be very guarded about our sentiments, or at least it's been my experience, where someone, even though they're really interested in you, they won't necessarily admit to it. They'll, they'll be guarded, they'll play it cool for fear of being taken advantage of. Is that not like an accurate reflection of how dating works? Yes, it's, it's you're trying to get the other person to like you if you like them. Like, I mean, the goal is to date like the most valuable person that you can, which means that you need to like, you're incentivized to falsely signal um, or, or truly signal uh, that you are personally high status, which like requires a lot of... Uh, Careful behavior, yeah. Yes, there's a significant incentive to lie and deceive to get what you want. So if you're you know, only interested in sex and the other person wants more of a commitment or feels more vulnerable about engaging in sex, then there's an incentive to falsely signal that you're committed in order to get the sex and you know, leave. I wanted to add that I definitely agree that uh, vulnerability makes romantic and sexual relationships for most people harder to compare to friendships because, well, there's a lot, there's a lot of fears attached to it. There's a lot of insecurities attached to it. Right now you're talking a lot about that lying is also a big part of it, but I feel like if people actually pursue it this way, this is something that in most cases will backfire and vulnerability and lying are exact opposites of each other. Well, there, there's a difference between... Uh lying and hiding the act of feigning standoffishness like that's pretty normal you, you don't want to be oftentimes especially for guys you don't want to uh, directly indicate how interested you actually are if you actually are desperate you don't want to seem desperate right right that's pickup artistry at 101 i'm not even <laughs> sure if that's pickup artistry that's just calm down kid you're gonna screw it up <laughs> uh, so i mean I'll, I'll admit to it i've been in situations where i've been interested in one person but I wasn't sure about their interest in me. And so I kind of had a backup plan with someone else. And in order to, you know, I'm not going to tell the other person, hey, you're my backup plan in case Stacy doesn't want to sleep with me. So I just kind of, you know, keep them on the back burner just in case the main goal falls through and I still have like a recourse. That's what I mean about being misleading. It's not necessarily lying, but it's perhaps falsely indicating more interest than what you actually have in order to get something that you want. What is the thing that you want? Sex. Uh. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't slept with someone in a while, you know, you your um, pickiness tends to go down over time. That is very true. <laughs> I feel like a lot of monogamous and also polyamorous relationships, a lot of open relationships that work entail exactly not lying or signaling wrong things, not putting anybody on the back burner, but being very open, honest and upfront, meaning also being vulnerable to people. And I feel like that usually makes for a successful relationship or helps to avoid people actually getting hurt by such actions. And I think that that's a necessary ingredient in every relationship and especially in relationships that are a bit different than the current mainstream. Well, since we've been going off of uh, an anecdotes, I can 
I can supply two anecdotes that involve polyamory. I did sleep with two married women that were in polyamorous relationships. And both of them were kind of in eerily similar situations because they both described a reluctant husband that just kind of went along with it and currently has trouble finding dates on their own. So from an outsider, it just seemed like the woman was not really that interested in her husband, but still is with him for whatever reason, perhaps some sort of stability, but wants to experience sexual variety in other areas. And it, it just seemed like a bad deal to the husband. And I just didn't care because, you know, I just got to have sex with someone and kind of maybe like really enjoyed the aspect of having sex with someone else's wife. Verified bull Yasin Masood. <laughs> Those are also the anecdotes that give um, open relationships, polyamorous relationships, a bad uh, rep <laughs> if they're unequal or if an outsider perceives the relationship only to be open because one of the partners wanted it and the other one just didn't want to lose their partner. And I suppose the argument goes that that sort of relationship is necessarily coercive and not hashtag not actual polyamory, right? Yeah, it, it doesn't reflect what polyamory is actually like, but it's also something that gives it a bad rap. Coercive is a very strong term. Well, uh, if uh, the expectations of monogamy are coercive, if you're opening up the relationship without the other person really being into it, not wanting that themselves. If that's the bar for coercion, then I would say that that sort of arrangement is also somewhat coercive. That's not the definition of coercion I'd use, but if we're talking about relationships and using that term, that's what I would describe it. I was surprised by how much shit these women talked about their husband. I didn't really understand their situation. Hmm. They just kind of denigrated them. They said, yeah, they can't, they can't get dates. Uh, they keep trying by going to poly meetups and on OkCupid and haven't really had any success this poor oh god this poor guy one of the women i i hooked up with she was a bisexual and so had been sleeping with women with uh, her husband's consent and then at one point she said actually i want to sleep with men too and he he kind of was like okay i guess we can try that and they've been married for three years at that point and she met me and i was like the first of the experiment i guess and then he was going on a work trip and managed to line up two dates uh, in San Francisco. And before they parted ways, they, they talked about expectations. They, they practiced putting on a condom because they haven't done it in a while. So her and I, you know, had sex and he had both his dates cancel on him. Uh, so it was really sad because <laughs> that's his first experiments with polyamory. Didn't seem like he got any benefit out of that. So, so one of the benefits for polyamory for me is that seeing my partner being desired and successfully having sex with other people raises their my perception of their sexual attractiveness in my mind. So when it works, it's, it's probably very useful. And I, I can't even imagine like if they couldn't get dates, I would feel weird. Yeah, you probably would downgrade them yeah. in your attractiveness to them. It's uncomfortable for everybody involved. <laughs> and that was my, my uh, two experiences with polyamory. Yeah, and this is also kind of segues into the idea of not all relationships are founded on romantic love, uh, especially outside of like our, our modern conception of the, the relationship and the commitment and the marriage is relatively new. So should we talk about polygamy? Yeah, sure. Let's, di let's dive into it. Uh, <laughs> what's first, I suppose we could just uh, pitch to Ayla. Explain how polyamory is not just polygamy with extra steps. Isn't polygamy specifically gendered? Like one man? I suppose so. Is that the salient part of it? Or is there more to it than that, structure-wise. Well, I mean, like it usually emerges in cultures that 
very patriarchal and is like very much double standards for male sexuality versus female. That seems pretty bad. But if you take that away, that does just kind of seem like polyamory to me. Yeah, I agree. That does seem like polyamory. I also don't know of any culture that has tried that. I do know some poly people who, because they can't legally marry multiple people, still will have like the weddings um, to formally have, you know, socially declare their commitment to and like refer to their other partner as their husband or wife. Yeah, there's a there's perhaps like a longer uh, discussion as to the why the government is even why the state is even involved in the approval of uh, marriage contracts. Um, there is a I am aware of one currently pending case where a thruple in Utah declared themselves husband and wives and said, well, you can't really stop us because, you know, we're, you're infringing on our freedom of speech. You can't prevent me from calling this woman my wife. That doesn't really make sense. If I can like leave, live with her, if I can have sex with her, how, how do you even justify telling me that I can't call her my wife? Which I think is a compelling argument. This dovetails into Fred DeBoer's article from uh, 2015, right after the Oberfell decision in Politico titled, It's Time to Legal- Legalize Polygamy. And I agree 100% with the article. I, I don't think there is any rational standard for preventing consenting adults from engaging in whatever arrangement that they want. Um, I don't think it should be illegal either. You can date as many people as you want. You can uh, design relationships in a way that suits you. At the same time, it's a different question on uh, whether your union, your relationship is legally recognized. So you can call someone your wife or your husband either way, but whether the state will grant you um, the benefits and the legal status is a different question. Well, I guess we we do have to address the role of the state. A marriage is really just a contract between two people. You commit to being in a relationship. You commit to sharing assets. You commit to, or at least are made aware of consequences of a divorce, for example, in splitting up assets or splitting up custody. But none of that needs the state except for enforcement purposes. It's really just a contract that you agree to. And Life of the Law which is another podcast, had an episode on, on this topic exactly about polyamorous love and from February 2014 and how creative lawyers have been trying to deal with polyamorous relationships. And one creative solution that I saw regarding child custody or even just any, any form of uh, concern regarding polyamorous uh, relationships is to just create a, a corporation. So the relationship becomes the corporation and each share, each person has a share in this corporation. So that means, you know, it's it's very easy to split up assets. Uh, splitting up custody of kids might be more complicated, but it's not impossible. Uh, there's already kind of a great deal of flexibility in family courts in terms of how they arrange custody and time allocation. I don't see how that complicates it significantly by adding a third person. Uh, because very often they are more than two parents, quote unquote, parents involved as caretakers of a child. I don't think that the state should meddle in how um, individuals design their personal relationships. But marriage itself is a state, a legal institution. And I think in this uh, 
arena, the government has the right to decide which unions to legally rec recognize and um, to decide which unions might be more favorable for society as a whole, for a certain continuity and stability in society. I think the law should be more flexible in uh, recognizing unusual uh, family situations. Um, as I said, with patchwork families, that the law is not really able at this point to respond adequately to it, to a situation where maybe one parent and the grandparents are mainly involved in raising the child, changing rules on who can get custody. The government might be hesitant to recognize a union that involves more than two people because there might be, might be the risk of um, traditional communities using it to establish uh, polygamous marriages again, which are prone to abuse, which are prone to coercion for the more disadvantaged parties involved. It might also want to avoid unfavorable changes in demographics when it comes to married versus unmarried people, no matter if these assumptions or risks are likely or correct. I think the basic difference we have here is that I grant the government the right to uh, decide which uh, legal framework it gives. Just to give a different example, um, in Germany, our family and inheritance law is very much designed for the typical nuclear family. So which with a lot more patchwork families, not even uh, people living in uh, non-monogamous relationships, but just patchwork families. Um, the inheritance law sometimes uh, gives weird and unfair results because they're not designed for that. And I guess the law should give more leeway. <laughs> Usually, I, I don't know if this is the case in Germany, but you know, if someone dies, then their property goes to their partner or their spouse. And if their spouse is not available, then their oldest child or something like that. And then you know, the cousin or whatever. There's kind of a line, uh, a succession line available in terms of hierarchy, right? Uh, yeah, there's certain quotas in which um, the property is usually divided between the spouse and the children. And depending in patchwork families, Uh, on which spouse dies first, the inheritance quotas are vastly different. And this is discussed right now in um, the German legal community a lot on how you can make the law more flexible. Uh, but right now, the only possibility to address that is through individual testaments, individual contracts. And I feel like with um, a lot more polyamorous couples coming up, the law could change in other ways maybe granting um, custody more freely if people uh, live in a stable relationship or raise their kid together. I think the podcast you sent in, one of the examples the lawyer also used was maybe two, two sisters who both weren't married, but both want to have children and would like to adopt together, that um, the law actually gives leeway for those people in <laughs> non-sexual relationships that are not um a traditional married couple to also be able to adopt children. Yeah, to me, that does not seem to be a significant hurdle to overcome. The The law for inheritance is is targeted towards people that do not leave a testament, 
So it's meant to be the default allocation. And I don't really see a significant challenge to accounting for atypical relationships. If you want to get around that, you can just require everyone in an atypical relationship to be more specific about how they want allocation to take place in, in case of their demise. That, to me, does not seem like an impossible uh, burden to impose on anyone. Do you think that uh, <laughs> marriage should be open for polyamorous couples? Or not just polyamorous couples, like triads or frapples or how you would call them. As you said, the uh, frapple in Utah is suing right now. Yeah, so my own standard is uh, is very libertarian. I don't think the state should be involved in marriage at all. I believe that any marriage, quote unquote, that people want to engage in should be just done with the consent and, and uh, negotiation of the people involved and that they should have a great deal of flexibility to arrange it in whatever, whatever way possible. The minimum standard for me is that everyone is a consenting adult. That's it. So like any other contract, basically, is how you look at it? Absolutely, yeah. I don't see it any different from a corporation or a partnership or an, any other form of enterprise where more than one person is in control of it. There's a great deal of robust institutional mechanisms in place to afford you know, multi-million dollar enterprises to operate efficiently, even though they involve potentially thousands of people all making very important decisions, we can scale that down easily to a relationship involving more than two people. One thing I'm kind of curious about is uh, looking at humans as a species, it seems like the two sort of uh, stable equilibriums are either monogamy, uh, enforced socially, or polygyny enforced as polygamy. And what you mean by polygyny is one man and multiple women, right? Yes. And I'm curious is that if this were to actually scale, how, how would and polyamory, say, became the norm, like the idea of if you leave this door open, if the standard for people in their relationships is to leave the door unlocked so people can date around and things like that, if the stable equilibrium of society after that had become the norm, would it just look like polygyny again? That does seem to be a concern. There was a response article in Politico to uh, Fred DeBoer's argument by Jonathan Rauch called No, Polygamy Isn't the Next Gay Marriage. And his primary thesis, which I didn't find convincing, but his primary thesis rests on policy concerns about having essentially an underclass of frustrated men that will not have a wife to calm them down. I always find these arguments hilarious because I, while I acknowledge that they're true, they just kind of affirm this really childish aspect of men in terms of how violent they get when they, apparently they're not appeased by sex. Isn't that where radical Islamists get most of their manpower? <laughs> so Jonathan Rauch, uh, in his argument, he ties uh, polygamy as adverse to liberal democracy. He does not believe, he believes that there's a reason why polygamy is not prevalent in the modern world and that monogamy is seen as the default and he puts a map of from wikipedia where polygamy is permitted and practiced and he basically put a map of muslim countries in the world there's no it's like a perfect overlap he references it as it's quote it's no coincidence that almost no liberal democracy allows polygamy uh, but it's you know almost country for country just a map of which ones are muslim so it's unclear exactly why islam is so enamored with polygamy well you're the one who'd be able to most equipped to answer that question yeah that's true considering you're the ex-muslim in the room i don't know why from like a 
theological standpoint, why Islam would be kind of in favor of polygamy. I see polygamy more of a function of the situation around the, around the time. So, you know, in times of war, when there's a lot less men, it makes sense for society to allow polygamy or encourage polygamy because then women are taken care of. And this is from the standpoint of men as the breadwinner and women as generally helpless, which has been a significant portion of history. But in terms of why it survives into the modern world, it's not quite clear. There's a lot of traditions that have somehow survived. It's just momentum. Yeah, perhaps it's just momentum. I don't. I, I can't ascribe any other reason. Men taking multiple wives isn't exactly unique to Islam, though, historically speaking. True, but in terms of uh, surviving into the modern world, it, it, it is. I mean, the Mormons got pretty close to modern day with their polygamy. True. They're pretty small, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and they disavowed it very early on, to the point where there's a line in the Utah con- Constitution that prohibits polygamy. And not only does it prohibit polygamy, but it prohibits repealing the prohibition on polygamy. So they wanted to make doubly sure that Utah would get recognized as a state. So they put like a p- double padlock on the issue of polygamy in the state constitution. <laughs> Definitely not polygamous. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm looking it up and it was it, wa- it was stopped pretty early on. Okay, I, I was misinformed about so, I mean, the, the concern is that when you allow polygamy, it's basically high-status men are going to hog all the women, and then you're going to have this uh, underclass of incels that are going to be very frustrated and potentially very violent, and you're going to have a destabilized uh, society. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems likely. Again, polygamy is not the same as a culture that allows, you know, both ways of gender. And But if you put that artificial, like, clamp on only men can have sex with all the women, then yeah, that seems like a very likely scenario it wasn't i read some book on like on the mormonism thing and it that was a big issue with like those the men that couldn't get wives what, what to do with those people yeah from what i've read they were basically outcasted and like given to other other communities to get rid of the issue i think a lot of people who use this uh pre-valid criticism against polygamy meaning that a uh, few men monopolize on few women probably have this misconception, I guess, I don't know what the statistics are, that polyamory would lead, lead to the same result because there's this incel cliche that there's 20% of men who get 80% of women or something like that. They, they would say that it's not structurally in-depth in polyamory, but it would be pretty much the same, which I also think is not the case. There's all kinds of uh, polyamorous structures but I guess a lot of people still un- equate that. This gets to McMuster's question. Uh, if you do allow polyamory, whether it would just reach this equilibrium where it basically functions as polygamy. I think the argument in favor of that is perhaps that men are more likely to have a proclivity for multiple partners than women. And while when you look at current polyamorous communities, you do have a great deal of women. I, I'm not aware of any gender imbalance But that's perhaps because the men that have a proclivity towards polyamory have not found a partner that also shares that proclivity. So they may have notions of polyamory, but they don't have a a partner that is willing to go along with it. The closest parallel to what I would imagine a poly society to be is the current state of dating apps. And there's a lot of data that comes out of dating apps that is 
makes me kind of worried about the proliferation of polyamory. Like what? Uh, well, for instance, uh, uh, women presented with a, a random sampling of men find 80% of those men to be below average. Yeah, but that's like, I mean, I agree that like maybe this is some evidence, but isn't this uh, just like photographs? Yeah. Which and, and if women are like much more uh, attracted to something like personality or intelligence, then of course I would I would expect that sort of result. So, Ayla, do you have any? Are you aware of any data that would speak one way or the other about the proclivity of multiple partners between genders? Do you think that there is a, a disparity? Um, yeah, men obviously seem to prefer more sexual partners than women do. That seems like very clear. Um, in regards to the question of like if we allow polyamorous society, will like the polygamy norms sort of emerge. I really don't know because I agree that like high status men tend to have sex like proportionally with more women. Um, But I don't know if like the fact that women can also have sex with a wider variety of men would like offset this to at least some extent. Here's a compare and contrast of a female Tinder profile experience versus a male (laughs) Tinder profile experience. Oh yeah. And this seems to support the... The thesis, men propose, <laughs> women dispose. <laughs> and for the, the listeners in the room, we don't have a visual component, so I have to go ahead and describe this. When we compare the uh, positive swipes versus negative swipes between men and women, men are significantly la- more lax uh, with regards to their standards. So they're more willing to accept the partners that they see a picture of, whereas women are very, very picky in terms of who they choose. And we'll post the, this graph on, on the show links. Well, I'm I've, looking at this uh, graph. I'm, I'm imagining a sex work where it's basically reversed. Tell us more. Like when the, the, the market is around sex, then yes, like men are the consumers. But if the market is something like money, because I, mean, I used to be a cam girl, I'm like the, the competition among cam girls for the attention of men, or at least the monetary attention of men is like extremely strong. And, I, and it seems kind of like a parallel to this. So it's kind of the same dynamic, but mapped onto a different relationship yeah and sex work seems like also another interesting aspect here like i was kind of thinking of it a lot during the conversations well one facet we didn't touch upon is while we say that monogamy was more prevalent part of the historical record is that prostitution was also more prevalent Mm -hmm. and it served as a form of i guess outlet for male sexual urges that are outside of the marital institution and now and now you don't need that. Yeah, and which, which corresponds with my experience as a sex worker. So many men I met were married, and then they gave me the same story. It's uh, their wife um, like lost their sex drive or got injured or something, but basically they just aren't having sex anymore. And but they can't uproot their life to like leave their wife to go find someone who will have sex with them. So they just sort of like secretly have a sexual experience uh, on the under undertow. Right. I also have linked the data from a young sex worker who kept track of it, and it shows a similar pattern, actually somewhat more selective than the standard female that I posted. So it was a a sex worker that was finding clients on Tinder? Yes. Hmm. I got that in Marrakesh, (laughs) and I just told her, okay, have good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you find a few of those as well. Usually they're just a robot who's pretending to be that, though. All right, uh, let's do uh, closing thoughts, I guess. Ayla, I'll give you the floor put, and put you on the spot. I mean, it, rambling is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm generally pro-polyamory. I view lack of polyamory as t- uh, tends to be an insecure thing. 
and uh, I like it. I mean, not the insecurity. I mean, the poly. 